Good morning. I read a story this week about a family who was preparing for Advent with their kids. In the story the mom wrote, Advent was one week away, so we thought we'd see what the children remembered from our family devotions the year before. Who can tell me what, rep- what the four candles in the Advent wreath represent, she asked. Her son Luke jumped in with seven-year-old wisdom and exuberance. There's love, joy, peace, and, and, and her six-year-old Elise interrupted. She says, I know. Peace and quiet. <laughs> we are fully into the Christmas season. We are less than a week away from Christmas. Has, has this season snuck up on anybody else? I mean, totally on me. Um, it did not sneak up on uh, Glenn, who is a UPS delivery guy. He, he was an emphatic no this in first service, but everybody else it seems to have snuck up on. I, I would say the last couple of years have not really helped with that as we we're going through the things we're going through and everything. One of the things we talk about a lot during Christmas is this idea of peace. I mean, the most popular Christmas song, according to how often it's been recorded, since 1978, which is a very good year. I don't know why. That song is Silent Night. What's the verse? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. I'm sure that's, that's the kind of peace that we all experience during the Christmas season, right? Right? Maybe? Between trying to figure out gifts for your kids or decorating the house or making sure that you go see all the relatives either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, plus going to all the church programs like our candlelight service, which is tonight at 6 o'clock. Also throw in the pandemic restrictions on top of all of that. Ah, it doesn't seem all that peaceful to me. Christmas can be a pretty busy and stressful time. So, where do we find peace? Well, we need to look to the person that we're celebrating each year at Christmas in Jesus Christ. To do that, let's look back at the prophecy from the book of Isaiah that Rick looked at last week. It's Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Where he writes, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This passage speaks to the future king, the Messiah, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He will be wonderful, like Rick talked about last week. He is the mighty God himself, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is Jesus, the Messiah. To help us understand what kind of peace Jesus is Prince of, let's look at the meaning of the word. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You may have heard that before. Its fundamental meaning is that of welfare or wholeness, as well as the absence of hostility. So I ask, do you have that peace? Do you have that shalom, that that peace within your relationships, your earthly relationships, and also your relationship with God? You have that peace. Today we're going to look at how only Jesus 
can fill your need for peace with God. He, he, he fills your need for peace by making peace with God. He also gives you God's peace. And, and then you can trust that the God of peace will be with you. We live in a time where peace can be pretty hard to find. All you have to do is turn on the TV and you just see a world in unrest. Some of your homes, it's hard to find peace. Christmas time doesn't always help us with that either. But let's look to the one who will be able to give us a peace that goes far beyond what this world calls peace. Let's look to Jesus as he is our Prince of Peace. The first way that Jesus is our peace is, uh, he, he's our Prince of Peace, but is by making peace with uh, God. By making peace with God. Now, that may sound a little odd because you may be thinking, well, why would Jesus need to make peace with God? That doesn't really make sense, but it's not really Jesus making, it's Jesus making peace for us. We need peace with God. And why, why would we need to make peace with God? Well, I mean, that's, that's why Jesus came. Our natural inclination, the way we naturally are, is not to be on God's side. But really, it's to be on our own. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we, as human beings, we have been separated from God. Having a nature that is sinful, we we naturally want to do things that are against God. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 20, he writes, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. There is no one righteous, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. No one who does good, not even one. That's how Paul describes the human condition. He's using different psalms throughout that passage to paint that picture. If we are at war with God, if we aren't righteous in and of ourselves... If we don't seek after God, how on earth can we have peace with him? Isaiah writes in a number of chapters later from the verses, verse we read earlier, in chapter 57, verse 21, he says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But Jesus came to change all that. Born of a woman through the Holy Spirit, he, lead, he led a sinless life. He did what we could not. And and then he went to the cross, and there he paid the debt that we, as enemies of God, as sinners, the debt that we owe, he paid. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Our wages, what we earn in this life, in our life of being against God, is death. 
Separation from God for all eternity. But if you know that verse, if you know Romans 6.23, you know that's not the end of the verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to Romans 3 to see this. Romans 3.23 where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Christ's sacrifice was what we needed to be justified by God's grace. Being justified simply means that God no longer sees us as guilty. Instead, he declares us not guilty, and not because of anything we did or some amazing legal argument that we put forth. It's because he has seized Jesus' righteousness as our own now. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, through the shedding of his blood, Paul speaks to this in the letter to the Colossians, Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus, it made peace between God and his creation. That relationship that had been fractured since the fall through Christ, we have peace with God. Now, as believers, now, now that Christ has reconciled us to God and, and has given us peace with him, we can, as his followers, have the peace of God. The peace of God is so important, especially in the crazy, busy, noisy world we live in right now. You ever looked at the statistics on your phone? Like, on the iPhones, it's called screen time. I don't know if uh, what it is on Android, but um, you, you ever look to see how long every day you're on it or how many times you pick it up during the day? Um, I wrote this, this part on Thursday, and so at, when I was writing it, I looked at my average, and it was about one hour on my phone a day, uh, but my phone says that I picked it up about 60 times a day. Now, one hour is, is less than the average time spent on, on phones, but don't worry, I make that up on my iPad. Um, but, but pickups were about the same. On average, people spend three hours and 15 minutes on the phone every day, and they check their phone, they turn the screen on an average of 60 times a day. Now, these statistics, they, they might not seem like they, they really contribute to a, a noisy, busy world, but... But it made me think about why we pick up the phone 60 times a day. And, and to that, I think part of the answer, maybe a main part of the answer, are the notifications that you get on your phone. One study done in 2014 showed that its participants averaged 118 notifications a day. And that, that was in 2014, seven years ago. And it's, it's typically more with younger people. I may have done some inexact science with some of my student ministry, and they get a lot of notifications, like a lot. I was, I was looking at somebody's phone this morning because she was mad I called her out in first service, so I won't second service, although she's not here, so I could. But, um, but she had, what was it, 500 
notifications just from Snapchat. And I'm like, that's so many. Or maybe it's not. I don't really know. I don't have Snapchat. But I'm not trying to shame anybody for this. Like, please don't get that. The only reason I'm saying this is to use it as an illustration to show that we live in a noisy world, a busy world. And one of the main culprits is usually in your pocket with you all the time. But it's not the only culprit by far. Everything is vying for your attention these days. Like literally everything. Noise is all around us, especially during this season of Christmas. Like it just kind of ramps up. And so where do we go to find peace? And then how long can we stay there when we have that peace, when we find that peace? Well, I mean, you know where I'm going, but uh, you're only going to truly be able to find that peace in God. It's the only place. When we have the peace of God, we don't have to be worried or anxious about anything because God can overcome everything. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us we don't need to be anxious about anything. If we have the peace of God, we'll be able to withstand everything. He, he, he writes that there is a certain way to approach every situation to, to find that rest in the peace of God. You need to present your requests to God. Not just in some situations, but in every situation. Good or bad. And the more you do something, the easier it is for you to rely on it. If you are presenting God with your requests in every life situation over time, that's going to become your default. That's going to be the first thing that you do, is go to God if it's the first thing that you do, if, it's, if you've made that your practice. Now you do this by prayer and petition. You speak with God in prayer, and then you petition him, ask him, appeal to him to answer your request. And you do this with thanksgiving because you know that God has your best interest in mind. And it may not always seem that way, but he does. And you go to prayer and you ask him, but you're going to be okay with how he answers. Because you're content that God knows what's right for you, what's best for you. And as you do these things, you will have the peace of God which transcends or surpasses or succeeds the the understanding of people because it doesn't always make sense. It doesn't look like what people think it should always look like. This isn't just some peace of serenity or calmness. It's the peace of God. I, I was... Uh, reading, trying to find some illustrations to illustrate peace. And, and I read a story of these two paintings, and it was really this guy trying to find someone to artistically render what peace would look like, how they viewed peace. And he narrowed it down to these two paintings, and they both involved water. And the first one was what you might think, you know, it was a, a lake, a nice serene image, uh, you know, no ripples on the lake, just a very calm one guy out on a boat on a lake, probably fishing. I don't know. That doesn't seem peaceful. That just seems boring to me, but no offense to all the fishers or people who work with fish. <laughs> but that, that could be it. 
But then he unveiled the second painting, and the second painting was a picture of a waterfall, a big, powerful waterfall. You might think, well, that's not very peaceful. That seems loud and noisy and all kinds of crazy. But in this picture, when you looked closer, there was a branch that was out over the waterfall. And on this branch was a nest. And in the nest was a mother bird and her two baby birds protected amidst all the noise. They're protected from enemies, protected from predators by that waterfall. A lot of noise, a lot of power there, but they could be in peace, rested. That's how God's peace is. Amidst all the noise of this world, he holds us, protecting us. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And the God of peace will be with us. The God of peace. The author of the New Testament book of Hebrews concludes his book with this. In chapter 13, verse 20, he says, Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, says, equip you, he will equip you, the God of peace will equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God, the God of peace, through his covenant, raised the Prince of Peace, Jesus, from the dead. The author of Hebrews also calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. The late pastor Ray Stedman once wrote about sheep, and he was raised in Montana, and here's what he wrote. He says, if you're from the city, you probably have thought that if you, quote, leave them alone, they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. He says, but I can assure you, it is all a lie. There are two outstanding characteristics of sheep. They have no wisdom, and they have no weapons. They are forever running off and getting lost and unable to find their way back. And if anything attacks them, they are utterly helpless to defend themselves. That is why they need a shepherd. That is why we need a shepherd and why the Bible likens us to sheep. We have a great shepherd of the sheep. He is our resource, our provision, a God who is concerned about us, and a great shepherd who is there to watch us because we have no wisdom and we have no weapons for our defense. The God of peace will, through Jesus, equip us with what we need, with everything good, as the verse says, to do his will. The prayer then asks that we would have God work in us whatever is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. That's the key. We will have peace, emotional, spiritual peace in this life, when we allow ourselves to be used by God for his work, both in and through our lives, to do whatever is pleasing to him. In order to do that, we need to have a little less of us, a little more of Jesus. 
It, it seems like that, that would be something that we might call weak in this world. I mean, this world likes strong things. And that would be kind of weak, you know. It's a, not, not more of me, but, but more, of, more of Jesus. But there's a pastor in Louisville named Kyle Eidelman, and he wrote in a book called uh, The End of Me, he says, Weakness is a pretty big deal to Jesus. As we celebrate Christmas, we know the Christmas story. We might read the passages out of Matthew or Luke like Jeff did this morning. Um, we might watch one of the many movies that have been made showing the birth of Jesus. Or we might come here and watch a children's program, which was awesome. But they all depict the journey to Bethlehem, the birth of Christ. And you know the story. It's one of weakness. Because that's how the creator of the universe chose to enter life as a human. Born into a small town to a teenage girl and a poor working class uh, man. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger, which is just a feeding trough. The only fanfare that came were to some lowly shepherds who were out in the field watching their flocks that night. Nothing about this story screams strength, and yet... That is when God works best. When we are weak, he is strong. As we rely on him, the God of peace will be with us, and we we can trust him. I read a blog post by a writer named Cassie Watson this week. It had an interesting way to, to speak about trusting God, and she was writing about when you can trust God and alternately when you cannot trust God. Here's what she wrote. She says, I cannot trust God to answer every prayer exactly how I want them answered. I cannot trust him to orchestrate my life so there is no suffering, toil, or disappointment. I cannot trust him to give me everything I want. I cannot trust him to stick to the timeline I had planned for my life. I can trust him to always act according to his love for me, his steadfast love that shall not depart. I can trust him to hear every one of my prayers and answer them according to his wisdom. I can trust him to draw me closer through suffering and give me more joy there than I would have in ease. I can trust him to be with me through it all, never leaving me or forsaking me. We are able to trust God in all of these ways because of Jesus. We're able to have peace with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. As his followers, we're able to have the peace of God in our lives because he has promised that to us. And the God of peace will be with us always. All of these are enabled because of the saving relationship we have with Jesus Christ. That's why we come here every Sunday to praise and honor and worship him. It's why we read about him. It's why we pray to the Father in his name. It's why we tell other people about him. And this time of year, it's why we celebrate his birth. It's because it's that moment when God himself became flesh and blood, became human. It's that point of the story where, for me, it's like something clicks and you get it. You understand the things that had come before pointing to this. It's like if you watch a movie with a a twist ending that was done so well, you never saw it coming. But if you go back and rewatch it, like you see all the seeds that they planted along the way pointing to that. Jesus' coming is kind of like that. It's the part of the story where you're like, oh, I get it. Like I understand it 
And you go back and you reread the Old Testament and you're like, okay, I see the seeds that were planted along the way. And, and we celebrate Jesus, his birth, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, because he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I would pray that, that you would know Jesus. And if you don't, you need to. And, and we'd love to talk with you about it. You can find a whole lot of people in this church that would love to talk with you about it and pray with you and, and, and just lead you, hopefully, to him. Because that's what it's all about. That's why we come here. And so now, you know, we're going to close this... Um, Close our Christmas season almost. We still have a little bit tonight. But um, but just take that peace of God with you. Lean into that during the Christmas season and then far beyond. Just lean in to the peace of God. The Prince of Peace in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our prayer. We thank you so much for what you have done for us, Lord. We thank you that, you know, we celebrate you, the God of heaven, coming down and and becoming one of us. You are God with us, Emmanuel. Praise your name, Lord. And, and Father, this is such a busy time for a lot of us, and so I would pray that each of us would lean into your peace. Because it is the only way that we will truly, truly find peace in this world. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you did for us starting in Bethlehem, ending on Calvary. But not ending there. Because you came back. And you are coming again. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?